Welcome to this bonus episode of Understand Murdoch, a podcast from the Post and Courier, where our award-winning reporters bring you the latest news and analysis from the story of drugs, deceit, and death in South Carolina's low country. I'm your host, Nathan Stevens. Today, I'm with Post and Courier investigative reporter Avery Wilkes to address a couple of emailed questions we received through our premium newsletter. Now, if you want to subscribe to that newsletter, you get priority access to mailbag Q&As like this, and we thought we would follow up and include our answers in this little bonus podcast episode as well. That's right. Both of these questions came from Lisa in Minneapolis, so thank you to Lisa for that. Uh, and they're also pretty timely given the recent events in Murdoch world. Nathan, uh, can you read Lisa's first question and I will take a swing at answering it? Sure thing. Okay. Lisa wrote, I've read different things about what is known about the night of the June 7th murders. I read that Maggie texted a friend that Alec asked her to meet him to see his dad in the hospital and she was suspicious. And it was also said that maybe Paul was coincidentally there because he was taking care of a friend's dog. In the HBO doc, Alec's lawyer said he had dinner with Maggie and Paul and then went to visit his mom. There is supposedly evidence that shows all their phones at the kennels before 9 p.m., right before Maggie and Paul were probably murdered. Can you sort out all these scenarios of what is actually known or theorized about the locations that night and why they were all at Moselle? What was the video on Paul's phone? Was it of all of them taking one together? Or was it Paul videotaping the dog and happened to overhear his parents? Thank you. Thank you, Lisa, from Minneapolis. This is a great question. And you can bet the conflicting accounts of Alec Murdoch's alibi are going to take center stage at his double murder trial in January. It has been an exercise in mental gymnastics so far to make sense of that evening's timeline. And Hopefully, the trial will provide more clarity. For now, let's walk through those various accounts, which we've pulled from court filings, interviews, and statements in court by Murdoch's lawyers and state prosecutors. So according to state grand jury chief prosecutor Creighton Waters, Alec Murdoch initially told investigators that he never went down to the Moselle Estates dog kennels on the evening of June 7th, 2021, before he found Maggie and Paul Murdoch's bodies there. Now, the dog kennels are a little bit a ways off from the actual uh, house on that estate. Um, and, and recently, HBO Max aired a three-part documentary that included an interview with one of Murdoch's defense attorneys, Jim Griffin. Now, in that interview, which I'm told was recorded earlier this spring, Griffin told HBO that his client came home from work that evening around 6.30 p.m. and had dinner with Maggie and Paul. Afterward, uh, according to Griffin, Murdoch said he lay on the couch and took a nap. And when he awoke around 9 p.m., Murdoch called both Maggie and Paul, but got no answer, Griffin said. So Murdoch texted Maggie, quote, I'll be right back, end quote, and left shortly after 9 p.m. to visit his mother, Griffin said. So uh, again, this is the uh, account that uh, Murdoch uh, gave that Griffin relayed to HBO. And uh, again, it squares with what uh, Creighton Waters said that Murdoch initially told investigators, which is that he did not see Maggie and Paul before leaving that evening to visit his mom. But here's the problem for Murdoch, and I expect this will become a major point of contention at trial. Since those early statements, investigators have uncovered evidence that reportedly puts Murdoch at the kennels, which was the scene of the crime, before Maggie and Paul were shot and killed that night. Specifically, 
In a video recorded on Paul's phone around 8.44 p.m. that day, Alec Murdoch can be heard speaking with Paul and Maggie. From what I understand, Alec Murdoch doesn't actually appear on that video, but his voice can be heard in the background. And I've heard that investigators had people who know Murdoch listen to that clip to verify it was his voice uh, even before they pressed charges against him in July 2022. So this was obviously a, a key piece of evidence in their investigation. Uh, the fact that it, it places Murdoch at the scene of the crime uh, in the the minutes or, or at least a short time before uh, Maggie and Paul were killed. Now, Murdoch's lawyers have said uh, repeatedly that that conversation, uh, which they've heard the audio of, was normal and convivial, uh, not the kind of talk you'd have before going on a murderous rampage. Waters, the prosecutor, has actually agreed with that, though at a recent hearing, he said that's even more proof of how cold-blooded a killer Murdoch must be. Uh, Waters, the prosecutor, also hinted that the state has other cell phone data that places Murdoch by the kennels that night. Um, At that hearing, which was in October, Waters said that Murdoch drove off shortly after 9 p.m. that evening, around the time that Maggie and Paul's phone stopped sending messages or moving. Uh, And that was according to cell phone data that investigators obtained. Uh, So that would mean at a minimum that Murdoch lied to investigators and maybe to his own attorneys in his initial statements about his whereabouts that evening. And I suspect that attorneys will, you know, his attorneys will have to explain to the jury, you know, why would an innocent person lie in that situation? Uh, But Waters, the prosecutor, went a step further at that hearing and said, you know, that this evidence definitively shows that Murdoch was the one who killed Maggie and Paul before, you know, he left Moselle that evening. Now, since all of that, Murdoch's legal team filed his formal alibi defense that he'll use at trial, right? That's right. They filed that on November 17th. Uh, It was only about three paragraphs long, but it was really insightful and provided some details that we didn't know before. Um, According to that updated alibi, um, according to Murdoch's version of events that night that he's going to uh, portray at trial, Maggie and Paul were alive when Murdoch left Moselle that evening. It said that a few minutes after 9 p.m. on June 7th, 2021, Murdoch left the Moselle estate to drive to Varnville to visit his mother, Elizabeth Murdoch, who is elderly and suffers from memory issues. Murdoch said he spoke with several people on the phone during that drive, including his son, Buster, his brother, John Marvin, and his sister-in-law, Liz Murdoch. Uh, Murdoch also spoke with Bamberg attorney Chris Wilson and C.B. Rowe, who is a farmhand uh, on the Moselle property. Now, Wilson... The, the attorney has confirmed speaking with Murdoch twice that evening. And I spoke with John Marvin Murdoch after this alibi was filed. And he confirmed that he spoke briefly uh, with his older brother shortly after 9 p.m. Uh, John Marvin said that their conversation was, was uh, again, brief, but quite normal and nothing seemed to miss. And I think that's going to be part of Murdoch's defense at trial is that, you know, he's talking to all of these people. Uh, and and these conversations are incredibly normal and just sort of matter of fact, uh, which is not what you would expect after you've killed two people, uh, especially your your wife and child. Now, back to the alibi. Uh, Murdoch said he arrived at his mother's place around 9.20 p.m. and stayed with her and an aide named Shelly Smith until about 9.45 p.m. Uh, Murdoch said he spoke with Wilson, the attorney, on the phone uh, as he drove back to Mosdale. And he arrived back at the property around uh, 10 p.m. Now, Wilson, of course, was the attorney who worked with Murdoch on a major case 
a very lucrative case in which Murdoch's share of the legal fees uh, went missing. The chief financial officer of Murdoch's law firm uh, apparently had confronted Murdoch about the missing fees earlier that morning, the morning of the slayings. So there has been plenty of speculation about what those calls between Wilson and Murdoch were about. Uh, and then, as we know, uh, Murdoch discovered Maggie and Paul's bodies there at about 10.05 p.m., and he called 911 at about 10.06 p.m. that evening. Uh, Murdoch's lawyers have said that while he was on the phone, he went and grabbed a gun to defend himself, presumably to protect himself in case Maggie and Paul's killer or killers were still on the grounds. Uh, and there has also been some discussion about gunshot residue particles that were found on Murdoch's clothes that evening. Uh, Mater- Murdoch's attorneys have acknowledged that there were particles found on his clothes, but said they were in such small amounts uh, and, and that uh, those amounts are consistent with him picking up that separate gun, uh, which wasn't the murder weapon, and carrying it for his protection. So that's all we know uh, from what we've heard about the timeline of events that evening. So Lisa also asked about why Maggie and Paul were there that evening. What's known about that? You know, I don't know for sure why they were there that evening, uh, though I'm, I've, I'm sure I've read the same things that you all have. I don't know if Paul typically stayed at the Moselle estate. I understand that, that Alec did. Uh, it was his primary residence. Uh, but we do know that Maggie had been staying at the family's house on Edisto Beach. Uh, some have pointed uh, to that as evidence of a distancing in their relationship between Maggie and Alec Murdoch. Uh, there was that People magazine report that Maggie had seen a divorce lawyer in the weeks before the slayings. Murdoch's legal team strongly pushed back on that report. Uh, they said they had gone through all the text between the couple and those messages were very loving and consistent with the good marriage. Uh, Jim Griffin, one of Murdoch's attorneys, uh, said on the HBO doc- documentary that Maggie had actually been staying at Edison because she was uncomfortable being around Hampton after the scrutiny and stigma that had become attached to the Murdoch family after the 2019 boat crash that killed 19-year-old Mallory Beach. So Griffin also said that um, the three of them had dinner that evening before Maggie and Paul were killed. So it's possible that they uh, you know, met up to have dinner. That's a long answer, but hopefully it covers what we know and what we don't know about the events that evening. All right, let's get on to the next question. Does anyone know or have some theories about what was found after Maggie and Paul were murdered that caused the Stephen Smith case to be reopened? This answer will be more brief. We don't know. Uh, We don't even really have a theory that's worth mentioning here. I thought the HBO documentary did the best job I've seen yet of pulling together all of the questions and the various, you know, threads surrounding Stephen's death in 2015 and the Murdoch's rumored ties to it. Uh, The Smith family is convinced that Stephen was killed based on all the evidence in that case. The family's new attorney, Mike Kemlip, has said it's clear that the 19-year-old was killed because of his sexuality. Uh, And we know that the state law enforcement division reopened an investigation into Smith's death just two weeks after Maggie and Paul were killed. According to an agency spokesman at the time, that was because of, quote, information gathered during the course of the double murder investigation of Paul and Maggie Murdoch, end quote. Uh, But they didn't say what that investigation was. Uh, But that decision followed media reports and social media posts raising questions about Smith's death. 
which pointed out that the Murdoch name appeared a number of times in the investigative report on Smith's case. Still in the year and a half since then, SLED hasn't provided any meaningful updates on that investigation. Um, Smith's family and its supporters continue to urge anyone who knows what really happened to Stephen to come forward, but it doesn't seem like we're any closer to having a definitive answer than we were 18 months ago. Okay. I appreciate it, Avery. Thank you. And that's all, you. For, that's all for now. We'd like to keep doing these Murdoch mailbags periodically, so please submit your questions. You can do that through our premium newsletter service or by emailing us at murdoch at postandcourier.com. That's murdoch at postandcourier.com. We're happy to answer questions you have about the Murdoch saga and our coverage of this case. As always, stay tuned with The Post and Courier for the latest updates in the case. You can follow us on Twitter at Post and Courier. You can find all of our latest coverage on our Murdoch landing page, postandcourier.com slash Murdoch. Also, please take a minute to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you like the show. We'll see you next time.